Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'm going to give you the takeaway right from the top. The message I want you to take home today is that authentic Christian faith is contagious. Really, Pastor Dan, you want to use that word in the middle of a pandemic? Well, just wait. You'll see. God wants us to be contagious believers. Remember when you were younger and your mom used to tell you that you catch a cold if you go outside with your hat or gloves, your mittens? Well, that's not quite accurate. The bigger reason that we catch a cold in the cold winter weather is because we're indoors more with people sharing germs and spreading them around. Truth is, it's germs, not the cold weather that cause colds. Huh. And now we are beginning, just starting to begin, although today it feels pretty cool. We're getting into that cold winter weather in the midst of not only the common cold season, but influenza season. I guess both A and B are out there this year. And of course, we have the scary unknowns of what this COVID-19 pandemic looks like and what the numbers will look like as schools are now reopening, businesses, dining, sports, all those different things. But you don't get sick from cold weather by itself. You get sick from germs from other people that breathe out germs and then you breathe them in or you touch something with germy hands and then you've touched it as well. Germs are contagious. Germs are the agents that transmit cold and viruses. Well, to that you might say, well, duh, Pastor Dan, we know this. We've known this for seven months. They've been telling us this. I know you know it. So why do I bring it up? Can things be contagious in a good way? Because usually when we think of contagious or contagion or infection, it's a negative thing, right? Something that is seen as insidious or unwanted. It causes a breakdown of our normal bodily functions or some other internal or external system. Something that gets in the way of things running normally. But when we some, say something like, her joy is contagious, that can be a good thing. When my wife Kinlan laughs, I always have to smile. She's got this wonderful laugh that for me is just so infectious. Not only because I love her and want her to be happy, and I know she's happy when she's laughing, but also because she's got a laugh that just cuts through whatever else is going on in the moment. Now, I'm not saying, honey, that your laugh is loud. I know she's downstairs, probably turning purple right now. I'm not saying it's loud, but I am saying that her laugh just cuts through everything around. And I know that she's near. And I can draw on the strength of that connection that we have. Often in the crowd somewhere, one of my kids will be with me. We'll hear a laugh and we'll look at each other and go, yep, Mama's here somewhere. <laughs> well, today I'm going to use that positive experience and feeling of the word contagious. Because Paul shares in his verses to the church in Thessalonica so many words that describe and show the Christian experience in their lives. You know, peace and joy, hope and love, imitator, power, all those things he finally wraps up in verse 8 of our text. Where he says, for not only has the word of God sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. 
Paul says their voice, their message, their laughter, the sound coming from their church, while it's gone out to the church and everyone in the area knows what a good job they're doing. Paul says you are being contagious in your experience for Christ and you're doing it so well, <laughs> there's no need to tell you about it. There's no need to say anything more about that. What do you think Paul would say of the church today? Just to bring it in a little bit closer, what would Paul say of Zion, Lutheran, and Hopkins? Would Paul say something like, yep, Zion, Lutheran, and Hopkins, you are doing an awesome job of sharing the message of Christ and him crucified in your community. Or maybe he wouldn't be quite so enthusiastic as that. Because then we'd have to start asking ourselves some questions and we have to start doing some thinking and maybe have some strategic planning and ask those questions that churches have been asking for hundreds of years. What will it take to attract people to our church? Why aren't they coming? Do we need another building facelift? It's been over 20 years now since the last one, right? Maybe the scariest two words in a church council meeting, capital campaign. <laughs> Don't worry, there's no building fund yet, Pastor Neil. So what do we need to attract people? Is it a bunch of friendly folks? An awesomely exciting worship experience? The music? A new website? <laughs> or maybe it's having a dynamic kids and youth ministry and family ministry. Well, you know, at the end of the day, we have to realize that it's not a program. It's not a personality or even the preaching that will attract people. Although a few people will choose a church based on these things. Now, we need to get our priorities straight because if all we want to do is attract people to the church, then yes, let's build the best that money can buy. We'll add all the technology, we'll have the most dynamic programs, but that's not it. The bottom line is, do we want people to just fill our building or do we want to attract people to Christ? Bill Hybels, it may be a name you know, he's an author, founder, and former pastor of the huge Willow Creek Community Church in Illinois, which for some time was setting records, 24,000 people on a weekend. This guy says this, God wants us to become contagious believers who will first catch his love and then urgently and infectiously offer it to all who are willing to consider it. Remember that phrase, willing to consider it. We'll talk about that later. This is his primary plan, the one Jesus modeled powerfully to spread God's grace and truth person to person until there's an epidemic of changed lives around the world. Now, you and I, over the last seven months, have gotten a glimpse what a worldwide epidemic would look like. 38 million infected and counting. Over 1.1 million deaths worldwide and counting. But can you just for a moment imagine what believers contagious for Christ would make the world look like? An epidemic of lives changed because they've had the opportunity to hear about Christ. And I'm not necessarily even talking about worldwide or even nationwide, although that would be amazing. I'm talking about something that is absolutely doable in the here and the now by us here in Hopkins and the surrounding communities. 
Just consider for a moment those within walking distance of this spot. How many people are there that need to hear more about Christ? I change topics just a little bit, but what, what comes to mind when you hear the word evangelism? Is it that guy on the screen right now? <laughs> yeah, some slick, shiny-shoed, smooth-talking salesman-type guy. Or maybe you think of a great soul winner like Billy Graham. We need to understand that to reach people for Christ, we don't have to become something that we're not. We don't have to become someone that we aren't. Because evangelism is very simple. It's telling people that they really matter. To who? To God. The love of Christ is so at work in that message, and it's so simple. You know what's great about this? You can be yourself. You see, God has given you your personality. He's given you your gifts, your talents, the things that you're passionate about. If we would only use those things to evangelize, to grab folks and just tell them about your faith in Christ and what that means to you. One of our major purposes as Christ followers is to infect others with the love of God. Infect them with the same thing that we know of and have in our lives. We want to influence them in positive ways that will make known Christ to them. So what makes a church contagious? What makes them evangelistically effective? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to a small congregation in ancient Greek, or an ancient Greek city, that was making a worldwide impact for Jesus. If there ever was a contagious congregation, it was that little church in Thessalonica. If there were ever contagious believers, it was them. Their love for Jesus was obvious. It was infectious. So much so that they were known throughout the world, the known world at that time, the Roman Empire. In every place, Paul said, their faith had sounded forth. So much so that Paul didn't even need to share that with them anymore. Now, Paul didn't write any letters that we know of to congregations where everything was going great. He always had a, a purpose, right? All the congregations had something going on. And the church in Thessalonica, it wasn't perfect either. You remember what the church in Thessalonica was facing, kind of the point of Paul's letter? Kind of two things. They were being persecuted and they were suffering horribly. How interesting that they were witnessing so well, doing such great work for the church, but yet were being persecuted so hard. Is there a relationship there? Well, sure there is. We know that agents of evil are always going to be focusing their attention on the place where God's love is shining forth the most. Do you feel that Zion is being persecuted? If not, maybe that means the agents of evil are focused elsewhere and not on Zion. Maybe that means that we're not doing everything we can for outreach and evangelism. Well, but Paul's church, they were contagious believers. They caught the love of Jesus and then urgently and infectiously offered to everyone who would consider it. They weren't beating people over the head. They were modeling and witnessing for Jesus the same thing that we do. And then they had a chance to form a relationship. 
and talk about what their faith meant for them. As we go through the rest of the sermon, I want to talk about three things that this church in Thessalonica teaches us about being contagious believers. First, contagious believers are infected by Jesus. Contagious believers are infectious for Jesus. And they are incurably devoted to Jesus. The Apostle Paul describes the Christian believers in Thessalonica as chosen he uses that word specifically in verse 4. And his purpose here is to remind the believers of what? That God has chosen them. God is always the action starter. He knows the Old Testament framework for this understanding of being chosen. God chose Abraham and his descendants so that everyone would know who God was. Israel was God's chosen people. And they enjoyed God's favor to become a light to the nations, revealing God's merciful salvation to the world. For what purpose? So that everyone could know about God. And Paul is telling us here, he's declaring to the Thessalonian church that just as God chose Israel, just as God chose Abraham and his descendants, their lives are also confirmed by a calling from God. Have you been infected by Jesus? In other words, have you been saved? To be saved is to understand that salvation begins and ends with God. He chooses us. We respond. We get to go to heaven one day and be with him. How simple is that? Paul lays it out in his second letter to the Thessalonians. He says, but we ought always to thank you Thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that infected believers, the faith that they have, that they're loved by God, that they're chosen by God, saved by God, they are called to share their faith for the purpose of letting others know how wonderful God is and that relationship that we have is. The point of God's entire plan of salvation was born in God's heart way before he even created us, created the universe. The cross was not a whim. The plan of salvation through the cross to each and every soul, how amazing is that? That God was thinking of you specifically before he even bothered creating the entire universe to hold us. He was thinking of you. Wow. That is amazing. Not only are contagious believers infected by Jesus, contagious believers are infectious for Jesus. Yeah, we're infectious. <laughs> Doesn't sound right, does it? But by being infectious, we can have an impact on an unbelieving world. So how do we do that? How do we infect others with the love of Jesus? Well, Paul told the Thessalonian church that their impact on the world was due to the fact that they had become imitators of us. Imitators of Paul and Timothy and Silvanus. Imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. They were suffering with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now, wait a minute, Paul. We're suffering. How can we have joy in the Holy Spirit at the same time? 
Huh. And it sounds like what Jesus did in his work walking this earth. At first, everybody loved him, right? But then as he talked more, he started getting enemies. And finally, the Pharisees, they just knew they had to kill him. And they ultimately did. So Jesus, during his life, modeled for us Christians what our life should be like. Continuing to teach the good news. Continuing to preach, if that's your special gift. Continuing to have a passion to bring others to build those relationships, even if it gets hard. Because we have the joy of the Holy Spirit. These believers became more and more like Jesus every day. And when we do that, we are bound to make an impact on the world. I like this quote from Billy Graham. He said, our greatest need today is not more Christianity, but more true Christians. See, the world can argue against Christianity as an institution, but there's no convincing there is no convincing argument against a person who, through the Spirit of God, has been made Christ-like. There's no arguing against someone who shines their faith as they walk this earth. So not only are contagious believers infectious because they're becoming more like Jesus, but they're contagious because they experience deeper levels of joy because the Holy Spirit is with them in their hearts. Samuel Gordon reminds us of this about joy. He says, joy is a distinctly Christian word and a Christian thing. It's actually the reverse of happiness. Okay, I'm going to read more, see what that means. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Joy has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry, no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross, all the way to the end, his last breath on the cross. He had the Holy Spirit inside him. We have to talk just for a moment here and stop. Because you might be tempted to ask, Pastor Dan, is all this talk of evangelism and being contagious for Christ, is it really practical? I mean, you do realize we're in the midst of a pandemic, right? Hard to get six feet from someone. How, how is that going to work? <laughs> and in fact, so many of us are struggling, Pastor Dan, with keeping things together, just living day by day. Pastor Dan, some days I'm barely hanging on by a thread when I think about all of the challenges that impact me and those I love. I worry about tomorrow, I worry about my family, I worry about money, my physical and emotional health. Friends, you want to be real? The Thessalonians knew what life was about. Of all the churches mentioned by name in the New Testament, there are only two that receive commendations from Paul with little or no criticism. One church was the Philippian church, who in spite of great poverty, Paul says they remain true and faithful to God. And the second church is this church, the Thessalonica church. They had to endure intense persecution for their faith. They were constantly being bombarded with temptations to just go along with the world and its godless value system. I'll give you a little context here. The Thessalonian Christians lived in a society that was devoid of any moral compass. We know this not only from Bible, but extra-biblical sources of the writers of the day. 
Every day there was an overwhelming temptation to compromise their faith. And they were a poor church. Many of the believers being slaves and lost their livelihoods when they became Christians. And to all this, they had to endure intense persecution for their faith in Jesus. The truth is, as Christians in the United States, up until very recently, we haven't enjoyed an unprecedented freedom from persecution, a freedom to worship, a freedom to go out and follow the Lord's commands to preach, teach, and baptize. It's not to say we don't have hardships, but prior to maybe 30 to 40 years ago, most of the Christian congregations were doing what? They were going up at amazing levels, planting new churches everywhere, and they were seen as a benefit to the community. But today, many, if not most, of our evangelical churches have problems. But we've forgotten that we also have the joy of the Holy Spirit within us to encourage us church in Thessalonica persevered without compromising their purity or holding back their passion for Jesus. Can the same be said of us? And you know you are a contagious Christian when you let your light shine where you live, and especially when you have those challenges, especially when life is difficult. Contagious believers are infected with Jesus. They rejoice in the fact that they have been infected with God's love and they want to share it. Those believers want to live a life of service to God. In other words, Jesus is our agenda. You know, everyone has an agenda, right? We all live for something and we want to focus our time on something. And our particular agenda shows up in the way that we spend our money, the things that we attend, how we treat our family, our friends, neighbors, classmates, co-workers. Contagious believers have turned from serving themselves and are instead living today in the service of Jesus. Jesus is their agenda. I'll tell you a story about a young salesman. He was so disappointed about losing a big sale. As he talked with his boss, the sales manager, he says, well, I guess it proves that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And the manager replied, no, you've got it backwards. Son, take my advice. Your job is to not make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. We're not meant to make someone else believe. We're meant to make that person thirsty for that relationship with Christ. Our lives should be so filled with Christ that they create a thirst for the gospel in everyone that is around us. Because the truth is, the only way for a non-Christian to know what it's like to be a Christian is to see one in action. Are you living your life in such a way that would cause people to want what you have? Your church, Zion Lutheran Church, can be effective at evangelism, even in the midst of a pandemic, I guarantee you. Because we can be using this time to prepare ourselves, to find creative ways to reach out to our neighbor. But friends, we have to be willing to look to those folks who don't necessarily look like you and I. Who may be a different color, who may speak a different language, come from a different background, a different culture. They may even have a different religion entirely. But that doesn't mean we just skip over them and go to the next white suburban suburb. Friends, the need is here. 
We have the technology, we have the data, we have the models, we have the programs, we have everything we need for our mission. So friends, I challenge you to let the Holy Spirit's joy build up inside of you so that you can do the work that Christ sent us to do. To be part of the church that outreaches, to be part of a family that evangelizes, and to live contagious lives wherever you find yourselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.